This is episode 19 with three-time Olympian, former American record holder in the 5,000 meters, three-time USA cross-country champion, the second fastest half-marathoner in U.S. history, and the fourth fastest marathoner in U.S. history, Mr. Dathan Ritzenheim. Oh boy, we have a great show for you today. Joining me is none other than the man himself, the legend, Dathan Ritzenhine. Ritz is one of the most dominant runners in U.S. history. He's won back-to-back high school cross-country national championships. He set the high school 5K record at 13.44. He set the high school 3,200-meter record at 8.41, which is just about two miles. And he was one of the most decorated athletes at the University of Colorado at Boulder, setting the American-born collegiate 10K record in his debut at the distance. Dathan was also a multiple Big 12 champion in both cross-country and track and field and won the 2003 NCAA cross-country championship after outkicking Ryan Hall. He's a three-time Olympian in the 10,000 and the marathon. He's won three national cross-country championships, and his 207.47 marathon performance is the fourth fastest marathon ever run by an American. In this conversation, Dathan and I talk about how his training has changed since turning pro in 2004, his injury prevention philosophy, and how he's evolved his approach to marathon fueling over the years. A big thank you to our sponsor, Generation UCAN, a patented fueling product that better stabilizes your blood sugar, delivers steady energy with no crash or GI distress, and for the rest of the year through the end of 2017, you can use code STRENGTHRUNNING, all caps, no space, for 15% off any product at generationucan.com slash store. Please enjoy my conversation with Dathan Ritzenheim. Welcome to the podcast, Dathan. It's a real treat to have you here. Thank you for having me. So uh, let me start by embarrassing myself for a second here. (laughs) When I was a senior in high school and I graduated one year after you, so I'm one year younger, uh, I had a magazine ad for Foot Locker Nationals, the high school national cross-country championship, hanging up in my cross-country locker. And that ad was basically just a big picture of you winning the previous year's national championship. So, uh, you know, I'm not just another runner and a coach, but I'm a fan. And I have a lot of respect for your work ethic and how you've conducted yourself as an athlete over the last 20 years or so. So thank you for that and just for being so accessible to your fans. Well, thank you. Yeah, I do. I, I know which one you're talking about, actually. I, I remember that as being my first poster. So it's a, it's a memory that's sticking in there. But yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So uh, um, it's great to be on the show here. And um, hopefully uh, we have a good conversation. Yeah, I hope so. Now, you've had a really long career. And you're now 34. And it doesn't seem like you're ready to hang up the racing flats just yet. Uh, and I'm curious, how has your training changed over the years since you know, you first first went pro out of college. Yeah, I think it's changed quite a bit, actually. Um, you know, for um, it, I think uh, sometimes maybe I seem a little older than I am just because I've been around for a long time, um, having had a, a very young career, um, very early start in the sport. And kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess my, I, won my, I won my first um, <clears throat> national high school championship when in 19... Uh, 1999 I think so um, so but yeah definitely things change as you get older too and there's a lot of miles on the body so um, I've had to adapt uh, a lot and um, I guess it's been a gradual process over time and um, yeah I think probably I've I've probably ran 75,000 miles somewhere around there you know and over the years Um, and so you know, those, those the adaptations and changes, they kind of, um, you know, they stick. And so uh, I don't have to run the, the same amount of my, uh, mileage as I used to. Um, I, I run less now, and I never used to take days off except for when I was hurt. Now I take a day off uh, at least from running and you, uh, often from any kind of training except for maybe some strength work at least once a week usually. And so um, – 
that's just something that uh, I've had to do now uh, as I get older. And I just try to qual- uh, really just focus on the quality now. Uh, whereas when I was younger and developing more, I tried to do a lot more quantity and I'd run up to 130 miles a week where now I only run uh, probably, you know, well, I mean, I, I will get up just over a hundred sometimes, but it's in six days. So, um, but I, I significant, significantly dropped my volume, I'd say by 20 miles a week, at least uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're periodizing your entire career. And it's an interesting concept. I, I spoke about this with Mario Fraioli, who I think you're doing a webinar uh, mm-hmm. soon with him. And, uh, you know, it's this kind of concept of, you know, you periodize your seizing where you focus a little bit more on volume and aerobic work early in the season. And then you cut the volume a little bit and focus more on intensity as you get closer to your, uh, your goal race. And, you know, it sounds like that's the approach you're taking with your career. You know, you've run the 130 miles a week for, you know, a, a big chunk of your career. And now that you're, you know, in your mid thirties, it's, it's not as necessary. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's across the board for any athlete, whether you're, uh, in, you know, usually if you're coming at it um, and you're a high school runner or, or you're, you're new into the sport, um, maybe you didn't run or you ran in high school and then you kind of quit running for a while and you come back, you have to go through and attack the fundamentals first. It's just like anything else. You have to, you have to build up the ability to run longer and you have to build up, um, you know, those basic things, uh, some threshold and things like that. And then once you get to that point, you can you can attack a lot of specific work just like you could any other time, whether it's on the track or in the weight room or whatever. You gotta you gotta work on the fundamentals first. But once you've developed, um, you you really just work on the specifics and you make sure you touch those fundamental things all the time. But you don't have to obsess about them because you're not developing anymore. You're you're trying to develop a little bit more of the skill, I guess, as opposed to the general. Um, the general fitness. And so, uh, so, you know, you always had to come back, I guess, if you've taken a little bit of time and, um, you know, now like if, if I've taken some time off from a injury or something like that, it, you have a little bit of a period of, of, you know, what you might call a base training or something like that. But after it's much shorter, it's, uh, and sometimes it's only a matter of a couple of weeks as opposed to, um, you know, a couple of, a couple of months or, even a half a year or something like that. And so, um, so things just, you know, I, I guess now I get in shape fast and, and so that's, uh, but it's also, it's a lot easier to, to, to overdo it. And so, um, you know, doing just enough of what it takes to get that, um, whatever, you know, adaptation you're going for, that's, that's the goal instead of overdoing it. And so, um, so now that's, that's, those are the things that I prioritize a lot more. Now that you're, you know, a little bit of a more, uh, you're an older athlete, you don't have to focus so much on, you know, the base training. Uh, are you doing more really fast workouts? Are, are you skewing your training a little bit more to speed development and, and those kinds of things? I've actually, I don't run as, it's, it's at the top end, I don't run as fast as I used to. Um, but I spend a lot more time on like real quality intervals. And so now, um, you know, before I would do maybe a lot of uh, threshold runs and stuff like that. Now I don't really need to do a whole lot of that. Um, and so, uh, I will do, I'll spend a lot more time doing real hard in VO two intervals to try to keep that power because as you age, you get, you know, it, it's, it becomes, uh, it's harder to keep that, uh, if you, especially if you don't use it at all. And, and especially since I'm not running track anymore, um, I don't go for the really, really fast stuff, but, uh, I still do, uh, try to do, um, you know, focus on that still in my training just because it makes me, um, it makes that engine strong enough that you can do the long stuff still since I, since I'm not, you know, focusing on really long tempo stuff anymore. And so I can, I can bounce into it really easy and do maybe, you know, a couple of really long things and, and, and that, the engine is already built up in there, but I really don't go for the the super fast stuff anymore. I mean, I used to run two hundreds on the track and twenty six, and I never I never do that anymore. You know, I don't really go faster than you know maybe thirty thirty one, but uh, I do try to do that um, pretty much year round as opposed to you know really focusing just on a, a, um, a you know a, a couple months period of time. So it's, it's something that I keep that turnover, but I really, I, I just can't risk going, really going for it anymore either. 
Yeah, I, I can hear that. I'm I'm 33 now, and and I can I can tell when I'm on the track. I I just don't have that just exploding off the line kind of power like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm I'm curious. You've um, you know, you said you were doing these you know faster 200 reps, you know, almost year round. But you're obviously training for you know longer races. How do you incorporate that into a workout? Is it something that it's almost like a finisher at the very end, or you know, it's like your your third workout of the week where you just might do four, six, eight 200s? Like, how does that how does that look? Yeah, that's it's kind of a 200s is a is a workout that I use a lot in different ways, and so a lot of times I'll tack on you know four to six. 200s at the end of a workout and so what if it's something a little bit longer it's just something for me to open up a little bit um, since I'm not really going for it um, running 26s anymore uh, I have to make sure that I do them regularly enough that I'm not super far away from from it either and so I'll tack them on the end if I do mile repeats or or a tempo run or something like that I'll just tack them on at the end and it's something that helps me you know keep maintain some some um some form and efficiency and stuff like that but i will also do them like you said uh, sometimes as a kind of a half workout or a three-quarter workout if if i know that i've had two big things in a row and i just need something i need an extra a couple extra days before going for the long uh, a long session again then i'll just maybe do like yeah, it's 12. Sometimes I'll do up to 20 200s, but they'll be easier, you know, like 33 or 34, which for me is is like, um, you know, closer to 10K half marathon pace. But I'll just do them, you know, just to just to um, kind of shake the legs up, but they're not long enough that it becomes a, a strain you know, aerobically. And so um, so that's kind of those are two different ways that I do it. And I also like to do it um, early on. So if I've taken a break, I like to do them. Um, as I build up and it's just some, you know, I guess it is de- fundamental, you know, development of speed. Um, and, and then I can extend the, it's, it's easy for me to make the jump up to longer intervals, but it's just some really basic stuff that I can go and it just doesn't tax the body too hard, but it, it gives you just what you need. Kind of almost like glorified strides. Yeah. I, I, it's, it sounds exactly like what we did in college, just adding, you know, we would o- almost, you know, very frequently add four, four times 200 at the end of a workout just to get the legs turning over a little bit. And, uh, we had a pretty standard workout of two times 400 and four times 200. That was almost like, you know, your approach where, you know, we've already worked hard that week, but we needed something. And it was, you know, it was only a mile worth of speed work and it wasn't done super fast, but it was just enough to get the legs turning over. So I think the, you know, the principle here that our listeners can, can take from this is, you know, you can do a little bit of fast running at the very end of a workout, or, you know, if it's the beginning of the season and you're just getting that reintroduction to faster running, you can add in, you know, some shorter reps at a, um, a good pace, but, but certainly not a sprint. And it's really good at at developing that speed, um, and, and to help make those faster workouts easier once you get to them. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we used to do a lot more. Um, I used to do it when I was, when I was running track a lot, what I would do is I would, um, I would do 200, like 10 times 200 and 10 times some 200 meter hills. And it was something that it was early on in the season. Um, and before we got into racing, before we went into like maybe a four to six week block of doing harder training. And if we did that once a week, it was a good introduction to some power and um, and things. And so it was very easy, a natural transition to do at hard intervals. Um, and so, uh, there was something that we could do, you know, and, and just slowly build our way into it because it's, it's really not, yeah, they, they just don't tax you, uh, you know, especially like your, um, you know, aerobic system and stuff like that, like, uh, doing longer intervals. I mean, once you get, it's amazing the difference between 200s and 400s. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially for a distance runner. Um, now one of the aspects of your career that's no doubt frustrating to you, but honestly is really inspiring to other runners has been your struggle with injuries. And you've come back from some really serious injuries in the past with Achilles problems and, you know, hernias and multiple stress fractures. And you always seem to rebound faster and stronger than you were before. And one of the reasons why I think is, is because of your attention to strength work. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear, 
your philosophy on strength running for distance runners generally, and then maybe some more specifics about what you're doing right now. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm just stubborn, <laughs> but uh, I, I like to think that uh, I've just been pretty resilient in my career. Um, I've had a, yeah, a lot of injuries, and it's just I've come back every time. Um, I guess uh, I, I don't. I guess I've thrown myself into it. I always love the challenge of coming back. That's you know, like at the time, it's it's very difficult, um, and. Uh, and yeah, I've had some serious ones, three surgeries and some stress fractures and recently tore my planner, you know, and the, those things are, uh, they're difficult and every one of them I've learned something out of, I guess. And it's, so it's, it's been, it's been good for me. And, you know, I, one thing I learned is that, um, it, I've, I've gone through chunks of time where I've been fairly healthy. Um, but, uh, but at the same time you have to know your limitations to a certain degree. And so, um, it doesn't mean that you're uh, setting a ceiling on yourself, but you have to be smart about it. And so everybody is different. And uh, some people have durable tissues and some people don't. And if you don't, you do have to spend a lot of time uh, developing strength, uh, I think, in, in, um, in, well, not necessarily in the weight room, but strength uh, through strength work. Um, and so you can, you can be fairly uh, creative with it. And that's some of the things I've had to learn and, um, I, but I've enjoyed it a lot. I mean, I've had to rebuild my body a couple times. And so it's been a, uh, a very good learning experience for me. And it's something that I just do a, a, quite a bit now. Um, and so when I've had to, yeah, I've had to get creative a few times because when it's, it's not enough to just do it when you're, you start getting, you know, when, when the injury is over and you feel healthy and ready to run, because then you've missed a huge window uh, of trying to address any of those problems and trying to stop it from the future. And so um, if you can really spend some spend that time during that injury focusing on it, um, I think that, you know, that that's something that, that um, you can hopefully address the underlying problem and uh, just avoid any um, anything that could come next because when you go for six to eight weeks or whatever it is, um, without running, um, it's pretty easy to, uh, to jump back into it and feel fresh. And then, you know, what wake up uh, a couple weeks down, down the road, uh, with another injury. And so, um, so if you can really, I've just learned to really devote a lot of time, especially during the injury. And then I try to, it's easy to continue it on. And so, um, but it's not something that I knew much about early on and not something I paid a lot of attention to early on in my career. It really wasn't until, um, probably until I was about 27, um, when I started doing, uh, I had done some, I would consider unstructured, uh, strength training, but something like, I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, you know, like kind of the stuff that people, anybody goes to the gym and do to do. And then I started working with, uh, with their strength coach and, uh, physiotherapist Dave McHenry um, with when I had my Achilles um, problems and basically it completely changed the way I trained and so that is one of the things that I've been able to I think continue to come back and be strong at a you know um, as I get a little bit older um, is just just having learned a lot of that stuff and um, and so I yeah, I, I guess uh, I, I don't necessarily change things a ton, but I always like to learn new things because there's so many, so much that you can learn. Um, even even when you think you know a lot, you you don't. <laughs> it's all you find someone who you can um, who you can learn from. And so recently, that's what I've been doing. I've I've been uh, working with a strength coach here in Grand Rapids and uh, chiropractor. His name's Jason Ross, and he he was a chiropractor for the olympic uh, bobsled team and strength coach push push athlete for them and so i started to do a lot more a lot of different things i mean i still do a lot of the stuff that i was doing when i was working with david McHenry, but um but i've incorporated a lot more of uh things that uh, jason has been um been teaching me and so we've we spent a lot of time it's been good especially when i had my planner pro, uh planner rupture I had to get creative and had to spend a lot of time um, doing a lot of really isometric things and um, using some equipment that I hadn't done a lot, a whole lot of. Um, started using my like glute hand machine and um, doing reverse hypers, things like that that were unweighted 
um, on my foot just so that I could continue to build strength as I was, um, as I was, um, healing. And so now I can basically do anything again, but it's, uh, but it was a very good learning experience because some of the athletes that I coach and stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, to give them the strength that, that they need. Um, and, uh, w- when they're, when they are injured. And so it's, it was a really good learning experience. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Dave McHenry is, uh, I believe works for, uh, maybe works for Nike and is a strength and conditioning coach. And I believe they put out some videos a few years ago of some very running specific types of exercises and drills that are great for prevention, uh, that I remember seeing and, and actually incorporating into my own running and some of the, the routines that I use with my athletes. Yeah, David, he, uh, he has a clinic, it's called Port, uh, Pace, uh, Portland Center, Athletic Center of Excellence in, um, in Oregon, in, in, uh, in North Portland, and uh, it's uh, Therapeutic Associates is the uh, place, and that's really where I learned most of, like, all the Olympic lifting and things like that that we did. I never did any of that before, um, and uh, a lot of it's ad- adapted into single leg things, uh, you know, that was what he always said when you're when you're a runner you're never you're never on the only time you're on two feet is if something's really uh really bad is happening and you're stopped so um so we try to do a lot of things where we isolate you know um those but uh you know it was really good it was a great learning experience and um and so uh and, you know once you learn that stuff it's it's great you know but it 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 does take some guidance to, to learn, you know, real, you know, hard Olympic lifting and it's, it's easy to, to do things wrong. And, and so, uh, having, having someone that knows what they're doing is important because you could easily hurt yourself too. Absolutely. Those lifts are very technical and form mm-hmm. is much more important than, you know, if you're doing a plank or something like that. Now I'm curious, how do you strike the balance between, you know, the, the hard technical lifting in the gym, you know, Olympic lifts, clean and jerk, deadlift, that kind of stuff versus, you know, the more running specific body weight oriented strength routines. How do you, how do you structure that in your training? Well, I would say that, you know, the, for the most part, those real technical hard lifts, um, that's still the, the minority of what, what you do. I mean, you ha- it's just like, just like anything else, you have to have a foundation, to put that on, that's like the icing on the cake. And so, um, you know, all the other boring stuff, I guess is what I call it. That's the, your everyday training, you know, that's the stuff that you have to spend the most time still doing. And so, um, and so if you're strong and well-rounded, um, by doing, spending a lot of time doing that, then you can advance your training to, um, with doing the heavier stuff. And so I always use the rule though. That's all, that's always, that is always just supplemental to your running. And so if it ever takes away from your running, if you're so blown up from a lift that you did, then it was too much. If you can't run uh, effectively the next day, it should, it should complement your running and make you stronger. And there will be days where, you know, you feel, you know, tired and you should have that and tight and sore, but, um, but you shouldn't do it to the point where your workouts suffer ever. And so, um, and so I think, uh, you have to be able to, to really, um, lay that foundation of all those other things. And that stuff should, that stuff never really makes you that sore unless you are, um, you know, already have some bad firing patterns and stuff. It might, you know, initially, but, um, uh, but the big heavy stuff, yeah, that's, that's the icing on the cake. And, you know, I think a lot of that, you know, it's not, if you, if you're running a marathon or something like that, um, it might be great, you know, for your range of motion and, hormonally and stuff like that to do some some heavier stuff um uh, but um you're probably not going to see performance gains like you would um from from uh if you're maybe a middle distance runner and so uh you'll see performance gains just from your overall health i think but you're not going to see like huge uh you're not going to ever do the kind of workouts and races that you're going to say wow I, i see a huge difference from being able to power clean X amount or, um, you know, doing deadlifts that are, you know, that the, the, the bodybuilders are looking at you thinking, wow, this little guy can do it. So, uh, <laughs> so it is, a, you know, it's important, but I guess it's, it's, uh, like you, you should never detract from your running still. That's, that's one of one thing. It should always complement it and make your running better. 
Yeah, that's a general rule that I use with my athletes. And, and the way I think about it too is, you know, the hard lifting in the gym, the Olympic lifts, anything very heavy or technical, you know, it's almost like that's a speed workout. And just like you wouldn't do a speed workout every day, you're not going to do that kind of lifting every day. It's, you know, a couple times a week. Whereas, you know, if you're doing a core routine or you're doing some body weight strength work, those are routines that, you know, you can follow every run with, you know, mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes of, of body weight strength work without, you know, incurring a tremendous amount of fatigue or soreness or anything like that. Um, and, and that's almost like your easy mileage. That's the foundation upon which the, you know, harder strength work is, is then laid upon. Definitely. And, and that is the hard thing is it's, it's not the glamorous work, you know, it's not the stuff that people love to do, but it's, it is essential. Um, but like you say, that is it, it, that's a good way to think of it is if you're doing that heavy, hard stuff, it is a think of it like speed work. You don't do it a whole lot, but, you know, a little bit goes a long ways. And so um, remembering that is, is important. And it is one thing that I do think, though, like as I've gotten older, I, I try to rely on that a little bit more doing um, doing stuff that's uh, heavy and hard like that or fast and thinking and trying to get the benefits of that um, as opposed to really, like I said go, before, going for it in the real hard speed workouts just because there is a lot more risk in that. And so I do try to supplement, you know, I try to build that power and stuff like that maybe a little bit more in the weight room um, than I used to just because, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a little safer. Maybe it's, it's not quite as specific to running but um, but you can make those exercises very specific still, and you can get a lot of those gains without really having to, for me, you know, like at this point, really go for it in the fast stuff. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear more about our sponsor, Generation You Can. They're a fueling product that actually has a patented cooking process for cornstarch. Why is that important? Well, it creates a starch that has no sugar, and it works very differently from anything else in the market today. Their super starch, as they call it, won't cause any stomach or GI distress, and it won't cause a crash when you're out there on a long run or competing in a long race. It's a more complex carbohydrate, so you won't have those cookie monster cravings after your next big workout. I've been using both their regular powder mix and also the mix with added protein with really good results on, in my own workouts and long runs. It does mix a little thick, but considering how well it works, that's fine with me. Check out their Tropical Orange for my favorite flavor. That's a good one. And Generation UCAN is also do doing something really special for you guys. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING, all caps with no space, for 15% off any product at generationucan.com slash store. And the really cool thing here is for anybody using the code this week, the week of March 20th, they'll send you a signed photo of Dathan Ritzenhine. Great stuff for you running nerds. So enjoy the product, enjoy the discount, and I hope you're one of the lucky runners to get an autographed photo of Ritz this week. Okay, let's get back to our interview. Let's transition a little bit to talk about uh, racing. So this May, you're running a 25-kilometer race in your hometown um, in Michigan, the Riverbank Run 25K. So for our listeners, 25K is uh, 15 and a half miles. So you know, this is kind of a weird distance. So let me ask you, how does a, how does a pro runner approach an odd distance like this? Are you training specifically for it or you're doing something a little different? Yeah, it is a weird distance. I guess I've never done it. So I, it's hard, a little hard to know, but, um, you know, I guess if, if you, I, I, I definitely am approaching it a little bit more like a half marathon, I guess, than a, a marathon. I'm not going to do anything. Uh, I'm not going to focus on, my fueling like you would in a marathon and, um, you know, some of the so specific work, I'll do a lot more general training and, um, <laughs> it's, uh, hopefully it won't hurt too bad. The last <laughs> 2.4 miles, uh, that it is longer than a half marathon, I guess. Um, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a race where, um, it's, it's a really big race here in Grand Rapids. It's the U S 25 K championships and it's the 40th anniversary of the race. And which is, I've noticed that uh, Every, oh, there's a lot of races in the last year here that have, this is their 40th anniversary. And so you can really see where that running boom came from. Um, but that was where part of it happened is there was these races popping up and they, um, and it, they wanted to be different, you know, and it was like, well, let's, let's make a 25 K. And so it, there's not a whole lot of those. And so it's a cool, it's a cool distance. And it really uh, does bring a lot 
to downtown here, the Grand Rapids, it's, it's been a um, really big economic boom over the years and um, it show, showcases a really cool downtown. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it just being right here in my hometown. That's 15 minutes away. So, um, so it'll be a great, a, a great distance. And, you know, like I, like I say, I'll just do some general basic training and I'll get out there and I'll train on the course, which will be nice. There's the, the Greg Meyer mile at one point out there and, um, won't do a whole lot downtown, but try to get out on the, on the lower flatter parts along the river and do some tempo stuff. This sounds awesome. And and I was reading that you have been courted by this race for, for years and you're finally, finally getting there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, uh, Greg, Greg Meyer is the lead coordinator. And so, uh, you know, he won the Boston marathon in 1983 and, uh, he's been, he tried for years to get me to come and, and, uh, and I, when I decided I wasn't doing Boston, I was like, well, there's no, I got to do this race. So it's right here. <laughs> yeah, they finally roped you in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about you in the marathon and you know, you've certainly had some plenty of ups and downs with 26.2 miles over the years. And I've read a lot about your struggles with fueling. And as, as I think all of our listeners know, the marathon demands, a really smart fueling approach just because of its sheer distance or else that, you know, the final 10 K is going to be a real death March. Um, can you talk about how your fueling approach has, has changed over time? Yeah, it definitely has changed a lot. Um, I guess it, it, um, you know, when I've tried about everything out there, uh, I did my first marathon, I guess, 10, over 10 years ago now. And, um, I guess I, I completely underfueled for that, um, and completely hit the wall, which a lot of people do. And it was the only time I've ever had that feeling where I've really just run out, like had nothing left. And it was just a struggle to even put one foot in front of the other. Uh, and so, you know, I've had to learn, you know, learn about it over time and try to just, you know, be smart and, um, but it really, I, it was a process of trial and error more than anything. And, um, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about nutrition and, um, uh, sports nutrition anyway. And so, um, it took me, uh, it took me a long time. And finally I had worked with a, um, uh, sports physiologist who had helped, uh, the, um, generation you can is a, who's a sponsor of mine, um, that they developed a, a new uh, carbohydrate source. Um, and so it was, it was made for, um, for some, uh, a young boy who had uh, glycogen storage, uh, disease and couldn't, couldn't, uh, go the night without having to wake up and, and eat. And so, um, it, it was a company that was founded on that. And so she had kind of helped, um, in the development of that. And so she tried to get me to start using it back in like 2010. And I just never, uh, I, I just was like, ah, no, I just, you know, I just, it wasn't even a company yet. And so it wasn't finally until about 2015. And, um, uh, I was uh, 2014, I guess the end of 2014. And, um, I started using a lot in my training, uh, because I really, I was struggling with it still. And, um, I had gotten older and, you know, I was trying to help change my metabolism a little bit, um, because I had done some testing and, some fat max testing and found out I was a really high carbohydrate burner. And so I needed to kind of try to transition. And so I used that throughout my training a lot and my longer work, especially, um, and avoided a lot of, uh, simpler carbohydrates. And so try to keep insulin responses down and stuff in training. And, and it really did help me a ton. Uh, I came out in Boston marathon and it was just, I felt so strong and I hadn't, hadn't even ran over a hundred miles a week in that training. I was coming back from injury. And so, um, I just was amazed at how, how good I felt. And so it's really been a huge, uh, a huge change in, in my training. I'll do that in a lot of my long work. Um, I'll take that as fuel and try to really keep that response down. Yeah. I, you know, talking about the metabolic testing that you, that you did and it showed that you were a, a high car burner or you burned a lot of sugar while you're, while you're out running. I think a lot of runners would, if they got that news, they would say, okay, well, I need to burn less sugar. Let me try doing some sort of you know, low carb, high fat diet to make my body burn a higher percentage of fat. Was that an ever, was that ever an option for you or were you just, no, I'm not going down that road? Well, I guess, you know, the hard part about that is I, when I run at such at that intensity level, the body is not going to use 
it doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you're using, when we're running 450 a mile, the intensity level is so high still that you have to have carbohydrate source. It's just the, the, and so you have to have that glycogen in your body. And if you don't have it, you, you don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not like going out for a long, you know, being out there for a really long time at a, at a easier pace. And so it was just, that is not a, a way that, that you can really at that intensity of level, um, you know, now for, for someone who's maybe going to be out there for a really long time for four hours and, um, you know, and, and the training intensity load is a little bit lower, that might be an option. Um, but for, for someone who's training, you know, hundred miles a week and it, uh, I just don't see that as being a viable option. <laughs> Right, right. It's it's definitely dependent upon intensity. And I think that's mm -hmm. why, you know, the whole low carb, high fat diet approach is a little bit more common among ultra runners. So, you know, the the guys who are out there running 50 miles, 100K, even 100 miles, you know, their intensity level is a lot lower, especially considering they're usually on trails, they're up at altitude. So they're running a lot slower. And it's a situation that lends itself a lot more to that kind of a diet approach, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, anyone who's and absolutely, fast. I think, I think you're, you know, like you can really, you know, if you're out there at a, a for a long time, um, at a, at a lower intensity level on an ultra race, you can definitely, um, utilize those fatty acids as a really big fuel source. I mean, it's not virtually an endless fuel source. And so, um, but that, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a point at where it switches over. And so like some of the testing, I did. Yeah. I mean, it was basically as soon as I got below, uh, 545 a mile, I mean, I switched so much to carbohydrate, you know, um, burning glycogen that it was, there was no way that I would ever be able to do it. Um, even if I massively changed my, um, my metabolic rate, you know, which I, you know, I did become more efficient, um, just because, uh, I became less reliant on it, uh, as it, you know, and, during the intake during the event, but still it, it just wouldn't be able to do it at, at, uh, at a, you know, 80, you know, whatever, I don't know how, what percentage of, uh, max I run, uh, when I'm doing a marathon, but it's pretty high still. so, yeah. And even, you know, even 545 a mile, you mentioned at that kind of threshold, <clears throat> your, uh, you start burning a lot more sugar than fat. Now, 545 isn't much faster than, you know, the pace that you're doing most of your distance runs, right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and, you know, I, I, would, I shouldn't say I completely switched over. It was down closer to like 5, you know, 515, 520. But at 545 is where I started to see a big decrease in the fatty acid used to, to, to carbohydrate. And so, um, so, you know, it's funny because you watch those graphs and you can see it and it's like you fall off a cliff at one point. <laughs> so it, uh, it's like a steady decline. And then at one point you, you switch, turn the switch and you start, you start going all the way to carbohydrate basically. And, and that's really what happens at, at that intensity level. Um, you know, running five, 450 a mile, uh, for 26 miles. Yeah, and I once read that you woke up in the middle of the night before a marathon to eat pop tarts to make sure that your glycogen <laughs> yeah. stores were all stocked up. Yeah, and uh, you know, like, and that's another thing that's that has changed definitely though over time with my uh, my preparation is, you know, I, I didn't know anything about you know um, uh, carbo loading and things like that. And there's a lot of myth out there, and um, you know, at a certain point, your body just doesn't store anymore, you know. And I didn't really comprehend that early on. Um, you know, basically, you know, you're just eating high fat diets, uh, at that point because your, your body's not going to really uh, absorb any more, you know? And so I, for me to wake up at, you know, and, and eat pop tarts, it is good to have your uh, liver, you know, glycogen completely topped off. But at the same time, I think you're, I would have been able to do that. I think if I had just, uh, you know, had my normal meal in the morning too. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, so that is one thing that has definitely changed. I don't stuff myself completely. I just reduce my training load and eat a little bit more than normal. And, and that's enough really. Yeah. And I, I think I made the same mistake. Uh, I ran Boston in 2014 and I just went crazy with carbohydrate the two days before the race. And I think it was just too much sugar. 
And mm-hmm. I had some GI problems during the race because, you know, you eat a ton of carbohydrate and if you skew that towards the simple sugars, it does wreak some havoc on your, on your GI system. So that's something that I think all runners need to be a little bit more careful, careful about. And your body just gets used to like a certain homeostasis, you know, and so if you completely change it, it, it just throws it completely out of whack sometimes too. And so, you know, if you spend three, four days just eating like a pig, you know, all of a sudden your body doesn't know what's going on and uh, it can just, just generally make you feel bad too. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And I know leading up to, to Boston, I just kind of, I felt a little lightheaded. I, I felt like I was almost dehydrated. It was a very weird feeling. <laughs> All right, Dathan, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Some of these are from the strength running community and some are from your fans. Uh, but you don't, you know, necessarily need to give short answers. Um, okay. So what's your favorite event? My favorite event. You mean like uh, actual, like individual event or distance or? Uh, you can take this any direction. Okay, you want. well, distance I guess uh, or I think my favorite, in, my favorite distance is the, probably the half marathon. It's enough that you can, you don't have to do anything crazy, you know, whereas you do the marathon, you got to do some, some things that are pretty specific. And so, and it doesn't quite beat you up the same. So I really love that. And, um, but my favorite event, um, I do love that great North run is a really cool event. It's one of the world's largest half marathons in, uh, um, in Newcastle, England. And so that's a really cool event. What is your go-to meal after a marathon? Oh, I love, you know, like that, we were just talking about all the carbohydrates that you eat and I just always just crave, um, having, you know, just protein and salt afterwards, you know? So I love just a big old burger or something like that. <laughs> yeah. My, mine is, uh, the f- grossest burger you can imagine with a <laughs> big plate of fries and probably two beers. I'll go yep. with two. <laughs> all right. What's the highest weekly mileage that you've ever run? My highest week, I think I've ran one hundred thirty-two, maybe not 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 too crazy. I'm not one of those guys that goes up to one fifty, one sixty. I just I could never do that. I could never be healthy doing that. Yeah, I'm sure if you added up, you know, running on the Alter G and running in the pool, it was probably a lot higher than that too. I, I guess I've ran one hundred forty miles uh, uh, on the Alter G alone, but that was my high. So that might be my highest mileage week. But uh, that was really mind-numbing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, what's the, the latest book that you've read? The latest book that I've read? Um, well, I guess uh, I, was, I was reading the swoosh, the um, – uh, oh, not swoosh, uh, Shoe Dog, uh, the Phil Knight memoir. Oh, yeah. That's actually in my Amazon shopping cart right now. <laughs> Nice. That's a, that's a good one. That's on my list. Uh, now here's a question from uh, a fan, James from Twitter. Uh, do you have a favorite either fitness test or confidence building workout when you're gearing up for a big goal race? Um, you know, I guess it, it's changed a little over time and I don't put a whole lot of stock in one specific workout here or there anymore. Um, but I do like to always if I can do mile repeats at a certain level, that that always gives me a lot of confidence. And so, um, because I just feel like you can't fake them; they're long enough and hard enough that you got to be able to run. You know, pretty. You got to be able to run. For me, I have to be able to be like I do a lot of my stuff on the road now instead of on the track, and I have to be able to run them under four thirty uh, for five or six of them at least. And if I do that, I know that the power is there and the, the engine's good and strong. And so that's usually a go-to for me lately. Yeah, that's a hard one. We always did a five times mile workout in cross country uh, in college, and that was kind of the the workout that everyone feared because it was <laughs> it was long enough, it was hard enough, and we were expected to to run those reps pretty fast. Uh, now, Dave, I'm, I'm curious. This is kind of a side question. Y- you mentioned that you're doing a lot of these workouts on the road rather than the track. Is is that for a specific reason? Just because you're running more road races? Is it is it injury prevention or what's going on there? Yeah, most of it is is there's two reasons I don't really run. Um, yeah, I don't run track anymore, so that's that's part of it. Um, and I do will do some stuff on the indoor track here. I I do some uh, I coach uh, some out uh, at Grand Valley State University, and I have some athletes that I coach, and so we'll go out there. And they have a great 300 meter indoor track, so you go in lane six, um, and it's three you know it's three laps to a K. So I mean you can't beat that. 
And so in the winter here in Michigan, obviously, that's a great resource. And so I will go out there and do that. But otherwise, I try to mostly do it just because I'm running road races and it's different. And so um, I have a like a really great um, dirt road that's just a straight shot. I mean, it's just beautiful, um, you know, country dirt road. And uh, and I have it marked every 100 meters. And um, and I've got little piles of rocks out there and I'll put the cones out and me or my athletes will go out in there and, and work there. And, and I do like that because there's something different when you're, when you're not turning the corner, you know, you still get your splits all the time, but you look out ahead and it's just long straight away. And mentally, I think it's, it creates some strength, um, to be able to just grind it out knowing that you just got to keep that pace going. It's different than running on the track. Uh, just something about it is different. Um, but also, uh, yeah, just not having to turn all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been uh, something that I've, I've, started to do that a lot more, um, for. And so, um, but I do think that there, that's the biggest part is just, you know, the looking way ahead and just not, not being able to see where you're going sometimes and just going hard. That's a, that's a, a something that, that creates some mental strength. Yeah. But because it's, it's very mind numbing and <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a hard thing to do. Now, are you still avoiding a lot of road running because I know in the past you you know transitioned a lot to the trails or other softer surfaces um, and, you know even you, didn't, you wouldn't even run to the trail you would drive to the trail are you still doing that I I, I will run probably twenty five percent of my running still on paved roads uh, I, most of my running is done on dirt roads uh, and from my house it's it's a three quarters of a mile to uh, dirt roads as long as you can go and there's a nice beautiful trail system that's eight miles um right here i that's my general my normal one of my normal routes uh, uh during you know the eight months of the year then when it's nice and clear i'll go and it's two miles to it and uh, eight miles around and two miles back so it's a, a good morning 12 mile run for me um and so it's one of the it's just uh you know, I think that that's a highly underrated uh, for a lot of people. And if you can spend the more time you can spend on the soft surface, the better. Um, it's just good for your joints. It's good. You 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 land a little differently. I think you know your um, your foot strikes a little bit um, a little bit different if uh, if this is softer and a little maybe slightly uneven. I don't like. I never run on anything that's really choppy either, though, just because uh, it's not worth breaking an ankle on. But um, but yeah, getting off the road is important. And even if you're running road races, you know, if that's what you're doing, just being on that soft surface, just save, the, save the bones and save the joints. Yeah. I mean, you're running predominantly road races all the time now, but you're still doing 75% of your mileage on softer surfaces. So I think, I think that's very telling there. Um, all right. Here's a question from Rich, uh, from Twitter. What's the most important thing you've learned since self-coaching yourself? I think the big, the most important thing that I've learned since self-coaching myself is I, you got to listen, you got to still ask advice. Um, and so it's because you think about your own training in a very emotional way. Uh, and so that's why it's, it's actually easier coaching someone else than it is coaching yourself because you always know what you should do, um, for, uh, for someone else. But when you, but for yourself, the, the emotions start creeping in. You start having some pride. You, have, so you start having, you, you don't look at, you know, obvious, you know, flaws. And so I do try to still run that by people and, you know, try to um, just try to try to not make sure I'm not doing, missing something, you know, whereas, you know, if you sit down and you look at an athlete's training that you coach, it's pretty easy. You have a general roadmap and you don't, you don't think too emotionally about each one of those workouts. You don't, feel it, you know, whereas when you're running, you feel, wow, I felt like garbage today or wow, I feel amazing and you overdo it or, and so that's the biggest challenge is really being honest with yourself and, and not, uh, and trying to take some of the emotion out of, out of each, each session. That's a really good point. And I see this with, you know, in, in my life with, you know, I'm on the track doing a workout and if every one of those reps is not a slight negative split, you know, I have this mm -hmm. kind of type A runner breakdown. Whereas if one of my athletes has a, a workout where, you know, not all of those reps are at a negative split, I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, if, if they're yeah. all roughly the same, then, you know, your body barely knows the difference. So I think that's a, that's a really important point. 
All right. Yeah, our absolutely. last question. I hope this one isn't too challenging. Um, let's say that I've paid for a full page ad in runner's world for you to put anything on it, anything you want. What will you put on that page knowing that it will be seen by millions of runners? Oh, <laughs> did you actually do that or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't oh, okay. actually do that. This is a um, hypothetical. I, yeah. Wow. Um, that is a tough one. I guess, um, you know, I think that the biggest thing is uh, about running. I, I still feel like even if you're, um, you know, even even if you're doing most of your training by yourself, like my like I do, or um, you're uh, you're you're doing some different training, or um, you're in the gym, no matter what, there's still a community that's pretty important uh, in running, and so. Um, I think making the effort to go out and be part of that community is important because you can always get, you can get, you know, people in general, runners are pretty social, but you can sometimes get sucked into your training. So you can think about like Boston's coming up here and then you get so wrapped up into it and, um, you know, it becomes very self-absorbed, you know, uh, hobby, you know, hobby or, you know, living. And so trying to think outside of that and, 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 um, and enjoy that social part is pretty important. I love that. And especially because, you know, one of the reasons why I love running is because you can do it anywhere. You can do it alone. It's something that you can do on vacation, just bring a pair of shoes and you're good to go. But then that's at the same time, you know, there is such a wonderful community around running and there is that temptation just to go into a hole and do your own thing and train for your own races without interacting with that community. But that community is what makes running so great. You know, it's, you know, it's the, the, the network of local races in your hometown. It's, you know, even the virtual running community, especially in the last couple of years has really exploded. And if you're, if you live in a place where there aren't a lot of other runners, you know, you can always go online to share stories and talk about your races and things like that. Uh, and that's what makes running so fun. Absolutely. Couldn't All say right. it any better. Yeah, there we go, Dathan. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. I'm, I'm really appreciative of your time. And, uh, of course, best of luck with the Riverbank Run coming up this spring. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Jason again. Just one quick note before you head out today. Once again, a big thanks to Generation You Can for making this show possible and to Dathan for taking some time out of his busy training schedule to chat about his running. hope you learned a lot. And if you want to hear more from Dathan, he contributed his favorite injury prevention strategies to a free book that's available to strength running subscribers so if you haven't yet picked it up just go to strengthrunning.com slash elites with an s it's plural and you'll have it in less than a minute all right thanks for listening to the strength running podcast talk soon